Praise be Jesus Christ. Slava Jesus Christus. Please be seated. And the gospel tells us, Jesus said to the crippled, Stand up and walk, and he stood up and he walked. Name the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, our Lord, well, Fourth of July has come and gone, and we're supposed to be in the heat of summer. And of course, we're lucky to live on the mountain because we have a nice, cool temperature up here, and they're suffering down below. So. But sometimes we're colder up here and they're warmer down there. But for the most part, we have very mild weather up here on the mountain in both the winter and the summer. And I'm grateful to God for that. Now, heaven is sort of the same way. If you're higher up in heaven, you have more joy, and if you're lower in heaven, you still have joy. But if we're off the mountain, if we're not on the mountain, in heaven at all, it's not a very happy situation. There is suffering, pain, and sorrow. In our holy books, it's called Hades, the underworld. And of course, we pray for the souls in the underworld, there's a possibility of their getting to heaven. Our brothers in the Western Church call it purgatory, state of purgation. It has to do with justice, I believe. We have to pay our debt. It's very Western theology. The emphasis in the Eastern Church is we have to gain the divine energies. So I've been reading today about the, uh, this week about the temple. And of course there were three temples in the Old Testament. And the first temple uh, they didn't pay much attention as they should have. And, uh, but it was beautiful for those who gave us the mystic vision. Talked about entering the temple and there was a veil and there was a great holy throne, an altar, and uh, on the a great holy throne was the high priest, which they think was our Lord himself. And uh, the priest could go in and out, and his vestments were uh, the same clothes as the veil in the temple. Our church is sort of built after this model uh, of course, we are affected by revelations, which is a better extension of our church. But in revelations, they're also talking about the first temple. 
And the second temple, and of course the third, our Lord preached the third temple, Herod's temple. He wasn't pleased with that, what was going on there at all. But in the first temple, things were going on very well until it was destroyed. People went in diaspora, and they were in Babylonian captivity. And said, so, but I want to go back to the first temple. It's sort of an allegorical temple. Not that it wasn't real, it was. But especially in the book of Revelation, they're talking about language about each Christian. That each Christian is a temple. And in lots of the New Testament, they're always talking about the heart of a man. And the heart of a man or woman is the holy of holies of that person. So, we were taught in the Catechism years ago that everybody is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and that is true. And uh, where is the throne room? Where is the altar? It's in your heart. And you must perfect that heart by living an ascetical life. But first, first of all, we must uh, know the scriptures pretty well to pray properly. And of course, we know a lot of prayers. We Catholics have lots of prayers. But the most important thing in prayer, all prayer is important. Let me say that. But it's the prayer of the heart. Why is that? Because in your heart are enthroned the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That you yourself are called the temple in the New Testament. So that calls upon us to sort of make have a life of meditative prayer. Well, it's not easy, but it has to be fed. We have to read the sacred scriptures and the holy books and make every day take time out to uh, take care of our heart by the prayer of the heart. And those energies in the heart are the presence of God himself as we say, sanctifying grace. So you should concentrate on that when you make your prayer in your own personal temple. It's also good to pray in this temple too, which is actually the temple of Revelation. That's where it's built. So we have, we don't have a veil, but we have the iconostas, we have a square altar, and of course, we have on the altar, not a heart, but a tabernacle containing the body, blood, soul, and divinity, Jesus Christ, in the Holy Eucharist. So what you see in this temple and what you know is here must be in your heart. That's a good way to pray. Well, how did you become consecrated 
like the temple of old. You were consecrated when you were baptized, chrismated, and you received Jesus for the first time in your heart, the Holy Eucharist. So you are a temple. Now, this brings up, we respect this temple very a lot. We have volunteers who clean it, especially one, and we decorate it modestly, but for holidays. They have very nice appointments in art. I'm now about getting the ceiling finished, painted. So I started to pay for that. We will have the life of John the Baptist on the ceiling, and we'll have the fathers in like round circle icons. Now complete the artwork, I guess, of the temple. Well, See, it's not easy to paint the temple. It's very expensive to do this temple. But uh, it's worth it to have a place to go and pray. But God can reveal himself to us and make it grow, make it grow in our heart. So you have to decorate your heart, too, by good works, prayerfulness, and charity by your neighbor. And Everybody is your neighbor. Sometimes they're not very attractive, are they? But still you have to be kind to them. I grieve, as you know, you've heard me grieving about these wars going on and all this stuff. I really don't understand the policies. I don't pay much attention with that. But I think the United States is not as loved as much as it was at one time. World War I was fought for to make the world safe for democracy. And especially the British, they're very patriotic, you know. That was king and country. And uh, the United States stayed out of the war for a while, but it finally got in because, of course, England is our first and most strong ally. Our Lady Fatima came and she said, if you people don't say their rosaries and change their ways and go to communion on the first Saturdays, uh, this war will, the worst war will come, especially if they don't change their ways. But through the 20s and the 30s, the world just got to the, it's the era of the, uh, you know, party time. Not much time for God, just party time. We became very rich in the 20s, especially into the 30s. And of course, World War II came, brought about, I think, I just think it's Brad Green brought that about. But of course, England was bombed and threatened. And of course, that tutu, we will all get into that. And, uh, I had relatives in World War II and in World War I. And Our Lady warned about these things. There haven't been any recent large apparitions of the Mother of God, but there are some small ones. And she's still trying to warn us to live with an immaculate heart like her own, a prayerful heart.
So you marrying people who consecrate yourself to Mother of God, you must live that pure heart. And we must pray your rosary every day. In the monastery, we have a rosary in the evening. We're sort of tired, and sometimes we doze a little. But we do get it in, and we try to get to bed by 9.30. But the rosary is said every day. And of course, we have the great shrine in the little chapel to Our Lady of Fatima. It's her promise that there'll be peace. People ask me about the millennium, and in the Bible it says, uh, Jesus, they asked Jesus about it, he said, uh, it's not just to know, the Father knows. And so they're always looking for signs. And then people, especially evangelical people, tell me about all these signs that are taking place now. They think the end is coming. Well, I don't know when the end is coming. Um, God wanted me to know it, he'd tell me. But I think God's giving us an opportunity to live better lives, to fall more in love with the beauty of the liturgy and our beautiful temple, and to come to appreciate just who is on the heart of the altar, just who is in the tabernacle. Body, blood, soul, divinity, Jesus Christ, the same God that sits at the right hand of God the Father, mighty in heaven. Now, if you really read the mystics and you read the uh, uh, book of Revelation, we know a lot about Jesus in heaven. And in the first temple was this built to reveal to us heaven. Interesting. And I repeated to you there was an altar, I don't know, like we have the iconostas, a curtain. Some of our priests put a curtain in the church beside, behind the iconostas. That's never been my custom to do that. Routines, but you'll find that in some of our pre, uh, priests do that. I found it uh, difficult to manipulate. You have to have a big rod and put a cool and cup and close that curtain. And uh, so I asked the bishop one time. He says, "You have the iconostas." He said that, but actually they had the curtain around the holy altar, and they would go into the altar from the front of it. Well, that's where the royal doors are, which we call the heavenly doors. Royal doors are where you come into the church. These are the heavenly doors around the iconostas. And we enter in. And sometimes I have to yell at the boys, they want to talk. Well, you can talk outside the church or something like that, but not in the holy place. That's a place for prayer and adoration of God. I always enjoyed building a church because that was the opportunity to make another tabernacle for God. 
where he lives amongst us. In the temple of old, there were certain things. There were, they prefigure the New Testament temple. There was the priesthood. There was lots of incense. There was the showbread, which the priest ate. And there was the holy altar. And God enthroned. Very similar to the Byzantine church. So we're very close to a biblically-based church. That's what we're doing, especially from Revelations. It's a good thing. Uh, We talked to one of the monks today. The vestments of the priest and the first temple, we're talking about the first temple, were the same color and material as the veil. And there were two veils, actually, in that temple. And And so he had those special clothes. Because when he acted, he was acting in with the presence of God. He himself had the presence of God in him. We believe that about the Catholic priesthood too. Every priest is ordained and he's another Christ. But he has to live that life. So we should pray for our priest to be very, 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 very holy. So Bishop Kurt, I told you before, met with us. He thought he was going to straighten us out. He didn't say anything about straightening us out. He said, I want you all to be saints. I want all my people, my little flock here, to be saints. And you know how to do that. So you must persevere in prayer, fasting, patience with each other, and a a, a life of love, of the beauty of the church. A lot of people, especially after the Renaissance and things like that, used to argue about religion. Uh, Nobody gets to heaven about writing about religion. You have to live the true faith to to get to heaven. And they split all over to all sorts of churches and such like that, far from the sacramental liturgy. They're in trouble. They have not read closely liturgical texts of the Old and New Testament. If they could do that and open their hearts to God, they would return to the church, the Catholic church. Many people are. But of course, at the same time, many people are falling out of the church. Why? They don't want to live a disciplined life. And they don't want any time to tell them that they're in jeopardy of going to hell. Now, our books are very careful. They don't talk about anybody going to hell, but we know it's there. There must be a reason. But they talk about the underworld, Hades. But the possibility if you go to Hades is you're going to do prayer and hope and love, especially love, you'll get out of Hades. So we should be praying for our uh, people that we knew have fallen asleep in the Lord. 
So in our church we have the five All Soul Days. And the monks are always there, but rarely do any any people come because they just don't know about them. But you chose to come and pray on those days. They're Saturdays, and you're supposed to pray for those you love who have gone before you. And we believe they will pray for us too. So we have that obligation. Think of all the people that cause you to be the holy person you are. I like Paul a lot because when he addressed his congregants, he called them the saints. He had a lot of confidence in them. And we should have a lot of confidence in our, our souls, in our ability to pray, to love the beauty of the church, and to help our neighbors achieve salvation. So I say to the monks once in a while, don't go to heaven by yourself. Take some people with you for your prayer and fasting. Help them do that. Now, I'm not saying this just to you. I think most of the people here are pretty good. Uh, except the young ones, sometimes it takes a while to get them to know, understand, and be enthralled with the love of God. But that's what you're here for on earth to do. We give so much time to education and work and not enough about God. So anyway, I read recently about the Holy Land, Israel, and they have the Hasidic Jews there. Hasidic Jews come from Eastern Europe, Hasidim we call them, and they're like us a little bit. They pray like us and we eat the same foods and they live a more mystical life. Well, the Zionists don't like them because they take a half a day every day to pray and uh, they, they don't like that. They want them out working, making money and paying taxes. How did the early Christians live? I'll give you a hint. They went to church for the matins and they went to church for vespers, the major hours. And every day they received Holy Communion. They didn't have Mass every day. They didn't have the Eucharist. In the early church, they could, the priest would give them enough Communion and they would take it home with them. Well, I'm not going to do that. It's against our regulations now. And I know it's hard to get to communion every day. But the ones that can, that is the food for the journey. That is the food of holiness. That was the mark of the early Christians. It was remarkable that the Near East, or Jerusalem and all that area, Lebanon and all those countries, they were converted to Christianity in just three years. The Holy Spirit was very busy. So I'm waiting for a mass rush to the temple here for conversions. We've had a few. Rhonda was good at putting people to the church. 
and uh, of course she died a holy death and she probably is in heaven if she was determined she left a letter in which she said she finally found this church it's a blessing to the whole world of course they have to do other things on Sunday now. They have to go to sports, and they have to do this and that. And that's not the way to deal Sunday. Sunday is a day for prayer and family. Not running around. When I was a good boy, you know, when I was <laughs> the afternoon on Sunday, they would have Vespers in our church, and I would go. Then I would get ice cream and maybe money for a movie. And if I didn't go to Vespers on a uh, Sunday afternoon, nothing was said, but um, I didn't get any treats. So I maybe went, didn't have the best intention, but I'd make sure I got the Vespers on Sunday. And one such occasion, I walk across the schoolyard to the church, and I was sitting down there on the step before I went across the street to the church. And there was the nun there, and she came out and she said, Joe, why are you sitting on the steps? I said, well, I have to go over to the church for Vespers. She says, well, you go. And she says, you come back after Vespers and there'll be a little plate here with some cookies for you. <laughs> well, I thought that's pretty good. So I went to church to Vespers and I came out and sister left me three little cookies on the step there. And I took them and I ate them. I remembered her and after I was ordained a priest, I wrote to the sisters of St. Methodius and they knew me. And she was still there. She was retired and and in her obituary, they remembered that, they told that little story of how she evangelized me. It's nice, isn't it? To remember in somebody's funeral oration. It's so good to be a Christian. It's so good to love God. It's so good to have the beauty of the church to convert us and the words of God and suffering in our heart for God. Some of the of the fathers, they say, well, we have sins, and if we repent, we have to do penance. But God doesn't love the sin, but he loves you when you do penance. He loves you when you're trying to repent. So you're not alone. You're loved very much. So we're all cripples. This is the point of this album. Gospel talks about the cripple. The guy probably couldn't walk too well. And Jesus said, stand up and walk. I say to you, stand up and walk. Live a Christian life. Love those around you so that your light shines before men and you take some others to heaven with you. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.